Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. We've heard a lot about how vulnerable seniors are right now during this pandemic. And it's true, they are. Not only are they more vulnerable to getting COVID, but studies show loneliness and depression among seniors has been rising. But there's another part of the story that we don't often hear about, and that's how some seniors are finding ways to be more resilient than the rest of us. I'm not going to spend these last few days that I do have um, worrying about something that I cannot do anything about. Okay, there are all kinds of things that keep people connected. I learned how to text. (laughs) Today, we're gonna talk about the flip side of isolation for some seniors and learn some wisdom for how the rest of us can pull through. I'm Devin Kadayama. welcome to The Bay. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I think it's important to underscore the fact that not everyone is doing well right now. This is Leslie McClurg, a science reporter for KQED. There are a lot of seniors that are struggling and that isolation is real and that depression and anxiety and suicide is up. So I want to make sure that that message is clear. We're not talking about everyone here. We are seeing early evidence that some seniors are doing better than we thought. Everybody has gone through shit. Diane Evans is a kind of a character, I would say, of of resilience in the sense that, you know, she got booted out of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. She landed in Seattle. It was not a particularly easy transition. Now, that's another whole story. You don't even want me to start on that. (laughs) Throughout her life, she has struggled with severe, severe clinical depression. Um, She worked in many different kinds of physical labor, so she has some health conditions that she struggles with. She uses a walker to kind of slowly bramble down the road. Even the Tenderloin is a place you can take a walk in. Right around the corner up here on Eddy, I call it the rainforest. It's, It's some kind of kind of forest. It's awesome. It's a small area and it's a, it's beautiful. She's 74 years old, and she lives at the Curry uh, Senior Center. I have a, a neighbor. Several years ago, we were going to the theater, and I'm, she says, 
Who's going to come walk us home? I said, we're going to walk ourselves home. Oh, no. I said, baby, you own these streets. These are your streets. Right before the pandemic, she was doing really well. She was out in the community. She was engaged in community organizing, which she loves. She was going to church. She was even riding the stationary bike at the gym. And then she remembers, like, the moment the pandemic hit, all of that stopped. I was going to St. Boniface and then go to Glide. Um, And it wasn't just for the religion, but it was also for the community. And recently I found the last two bulletins for March 2nd from both churches. But after that, that's it. That was the last time I was able to go to church. She didn't have, and she really hasn't had, any long, consistent physical contact with anyone during the pandemic. And that has been really hard. But her spirit is really, really still intact. When life has been hard for you and you do everything you can to survive, something like this, it's just another little kick in the, you know, in the path. You know, it's something else we got to deal with. The difference is it's worldwide. The way that she characterizes is that she, because she has struggled with depression pretty frequently throughout her life, she has gone through long periods where she has isolated, but it's been more like self-isolation. And this period, in some ways, has been like that. Um, she kind of knows what she needs to do when she goes through these more darker, isolated periods, and she's flexed some of those muscles during this time. I read incessantly. I love history. I try to drink a lot of water. A lot of people have different hobbies. They draw, they color, they garden. And my poor little house plants, you know, they, they survive. Years ago in New Orleans, folks used to say, we know how you're doing because we can see how your plants are doing. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic how concerned people were about seniors. Um, do you know how the pandemic affected Diane's depression? She says it really hasn't been that much worse than usual, Um, although she's been quite isolated. And she said at the beginning it was pretty dramatic change initially, but she's weathered the storm. She says, you know, back in the day, she making a long distance phone call was practically impossible. And so she credits this time of weathering to technology. Years ago, you were too young to know. A long-distance phone call was prohibitive, literally. To make a long-distance call from New Orleans to Detroit was prohibitive. Now you can call China, and it won't cost you. She stays in touch with some friends. She's a total news addict. She oh she listens to NPR <laughs> all the time and, and, yeah. and, and uh, watches Hulu Live. And I think that technology not only gives her a sense of connection, but also a sense of meaning. Like she has a sense of why she should stay engaged and she really looks forward to after all of this maybe hopefully goes away that she can get back on the streets and continue to community organize for the issues that she's following very closely um, via her devices. I crave more, but I'm gonna make it through this. I'm gonna live. Things aren't gonna get that much better. You know, they're not. We're going to still have reason we have to to protest. I'm going to be out there, but I'm going to be out there alive. Why did you want to talk with Diane Evans in the first place? 
You know, it's interesting because she was actually characterized by the senior center as someone who potentially could have quite struggled, right? She's got severe clinical depression. She's isolated in this 10 by 12 room. Uh, She's got all these health conditions. She did say she's terrified of getting the virus. And so I projected onto Diane, and I'll admit that when I went to go interview her that day, that she was going to sort of illustrate the side of the story, which is true that a lot of seniors are hurting right now. And I was really surprised that that her story did not embody that at all, that she has this example of resilience. Yeah. Well, well, she is part of the population of people who are among the most vulnerable to COVID-19, you know, most likely to be living in senior centers and to get really sick as well. She does live in a senior center, so she is isolated in in a single room. Nursing homes even have a higher uh, level of vulnerability. She's African-American, so populations uh, who are of color have been hit hardest by this virus because of the socioeconomics and the social determinants that they struggle with, which she has. She's low income. She has underlying health conditions, all of which make her more vulnerable to the virus. And on top of that, she has a mental health disorder that makes her, you know, what I would have thought psychologically more vulnerable to this time period. And and fortunately, she hasn't caught the virus and she's she's mentally sort of pushed through. I remember not only were people talking about isolation in, in the senior population, but hearing about how much more depression was in the senior population, but I just didn't know how to contextualize how much that was actually happening. What do you know about depression in the senior population during the pandemic? I mean, I think it's helpful to take one step back. Many experts have said that there is a loneliness epidemic in the senior population. I mean, there's a loneliness epidemic across the country, but specifically difficult for seniors in our country who are often isolated and who often don't have enough physical contact to really kind of stay buoyant and stay positive in their lives. And the consequences, the health consequences that unroll from loneliness are real. And so that was happening before the pandemic. So it makes sense that experts you know, thought that this would be a really, really challenging time for seniors. And I don't want to underscore that it hasn't. Like, it, many are, are suffering. One in four say that they are suffering from depression and anxiety. And suicide ideation is, is up. And it's especially bad for those in nursing homes who are quite isolated. But we're also seeing that through the pandemic, some of those, you know, kind of rates that are scary, that initially spiked in the beginning of the pandemic, have leveled or even lowered throughout the pandemic. So hmm. it's as if seniors are are finding resilience, and that's what the science is also revealing as well. So there has just been this range of experiences, and I think it speaks to the range of older people. I spoke to a woman named Louise Aronson. She's a geriatrician at UCSF to kind of get the bigger picture, to see are these outlier stories. And what she told me is that there is a population of seniors that are doing okay, that's, that some are even thriving because they're having more access to their grandchildren or their you know, kids who are living at home. The same is true of old age as is true of adulthood. Uh, there is a huge range of experiences, uh, and I think it's important to pay attention to the to the huge distress we're seeing, and to the people who've adapted and shown resilience. And actually, studies do show both. Also, 
it really depends. Are you staying connected? And do you have ways to stay connected? You know, can you navigate technology? Do you have resources that you can access? And, and those things really make a difference. I don't think we should be having a contest about which age group is more miserable. I think we should be coming up with solutions that help us all. So the UCSF study did also find this. So what we saw in the very beginning of the pandemic was that there there was a spike in depression and loneliness and seniors in the Bay Area reported that they were feeling more isolated and they were struggling more with depression. But we also saw that that kind of plateaued after a few months. And in 30% of those um, participants, it actually went down. And so it's as if people, maybe they learned some new skills. You know, it was the first time that I learned how to Zoom as well. Maybe some seniors learned how to Zoom. And they got better at these virtual communications. Um, They reached out to maybe people they hadn't talked to in a long time. They took the advice of their of their therapists or doctors, et cetera, to stay connected, and they did so. And it actually, for some, it, it really worked. I use Zoom. I use Zoom for different places. I do it with uh, um, Toastmasters. I have a Toastmasters meeting this evening. And, of course, with these great-grandkids and all, you know, they, we call each other and make ugly faces and have fun together. Sukari Addison is 85 years old. She lives in a small room in a family-owned hotel off of Union Square. She's been there for 26 years in the same hotel. She's learned, don't worry about the things you cannot change. And the pandemic is something you are not going to change this virus. It's going to have its own, you know, arc basically moving, moving through the population. And so I think that seniors have very different expectations of what they can and they cannot manipulate, and also different expectations in terms of what they need to do every day. So I'm Walker. I live in San Francisco. I've got the hills right here. I'm a reader. I like to read first thing in the morning. I like to communicate with people. They may be more satisfied, for example, with a phone call or you know a letter a week, whereas a young person feels like they need to take advantage of this moment and get out there and have a lot of social contact and make their difference right now. And so this feels, you know, sort of paralyzing, whereas it might not be so intense for a senior who's been through a long life before. How is Sukari's experiences during the pandemic different than Diane's? Sukari, unlike Diane, doesn't struggle with any mental health disorders, but she does have some underlying Uh, health issues. She has congestive heart failure. She has high blood pressure. But she iterated over and over that she does not live in fear of the virus. She's taken it very seriously. She wears gloves when she goes out. She wears a mask. Um, She did everything she could to avoid getting the virus. And she did end up getting the virus. She did. She did. And she thinks potentially she got it in, you know, the hotel where she lives. I couldn't even tell you whether I was aching or not. It's the thing. It took my... Um, energy so much that I couldn't even feel. I didn't even have enough energy to feel. So there I stayed in the hospital from August 20th to September the 9th. She says it was a really scary, very isolating experience, uh, very, very difficult on her health. She's still recovering months later. But through all of that, she still has and and exuded a certain resilience that that was impressive. I 
have more experience with change. And I have to relate back to change and be more accepting of things. And I think there are a lot of seniors who do that. Nothing matters as much as today. That's all we really have. I'm not very nostalgic. You know, I don't go back in the past too much because there are a lot of sad things to think of in the past. And usually those are the ones we think about more so than the good part, you know. If we just pick out one good thing a day, like people I meet now, I ask them to tell me one thing they learned today or recently, and I share one thing with them. Kind of stepping back and thinking about the bigger context and some of the bigger takeaways, there there are lots of things that we can all do, individual choices, to try and be okay during this time, during this pandemic. But we also know that resources for a lot of people matter as well. So what did you learn about what people need in order to take care of themselves, especially their mental health? The most important thing that I heard in talking to Diane and into talking to Sukari and into talking to, you know, many geriatricians and, you know, directors of nursing homes, etc., is that those who have some kind of social connection, and it doesn't need to be, you know, live in-person connection, but those who are in touch with others are weathering this storm better. And I will say that the other thing that I think is important to mention and is definitely relevant for both of these women is that they are buoyed by the social safety net that the Bay Area offers. You know, both of them depend on their social security checks. Both of them depend on Medicare and Medicaid to help pay for health care costs. You know, Sukari's hospital costs were completely covered um, by her subsidized health care. So these are important aspects to helping these two stay, you know, above water. They're not stressed out financially, which makes a difference. I mean, they live in the most expensive city, one of the most expensive cities in the world. How did talking to Diane and Sukari and the other people that you talked to affect the way that you think about resiliency and older people right now? It not only changed sort of the framework that I have that like old people are frail and lonely and isolated and poor them. You know, I think I have a projection like that. And I what I got from reporting this story was inspiration. Like, I feel inspired by my elders. Leslie McClurg is a science reporter for KQED. You know, after talking with Leslie, I was like, I got to call my own grandma Ann to see how she's doing. During the pandemic, have you felt isolated at all? Um, very little. Yeah, yeah I've had a lot of phone calls, you know, from my family. I have a large family. Oh, I know it, Graham. I know it. <laughs> I have been watching a little more TV than I usually do. <laughs> I do have a little poker machine. It's just a little hand thing. No money comes out, though. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. Here's your reminder, especially with the holidays coming up. If you're not spending time with your elders, maybe give them a call. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Kiana Mogadam, myself, and our editor, Alan Montecilio. The Bay is local news to keep you rooted. We're made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time.
Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.